You're listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, stories from Sydney Lunar Festival, a podcast about Australians who celebrate Lunar New Year, from artists to brain surgeons, fashion designers to board directors and YouTube stars. I'm Valerie Koo and I'm the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival. I'm also an artist, writer and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. In this series, we discover the personalities and passions of people who meld their cultural traditions with this sunburnt country they call home. This episode, I'm talking to Brad Chan, founder of Haymarket HQ, a startup hub with a particular focus on helping startups grow into Asian markets. He's also CEO of Banner Property Group, a third-generation family business with a vision to transform its shopping centres into community hubs. Brad acts as a mentor to both startups as well as individuals and retains a personal interest in angel investing. Previously, he was president of the Haymarket Chamber of Commerce for five years and sat on the City of Sydney Chinese New Year Advisory Committee and was the first president of the Australian Asian Association of Benelong. He's currently a board director of North Cross Limited and is involved with community and local government committees. In 2018, he joined the board of Dawn, a purpose-led business with a vision to build culturally diverse leaders in the future. In 2016, he established the Banner Foundation, the family group's philanthropy arm, which currently supports a range of charities. He also happens to have a few degrees under his belt, a Bachelor of Applied Science in Land Economics, a postgrad diploma in Finance and Investment, and a Master's in Real Estate and Town Planning. Thanks so much for joining us, Brad. Uh, Great to uh, be interviewed. So let's just start with how would you describe what it is that you do? Okay, it's probably not so straightforward. So mostly I spend the day running a third-generation family business called the Banner Property Group. Uh, And so what we do is we own and manage our own commercial properties, mostly smaller shopping centres around Sydney. Uh, it includes some pubs and a few other different kinds of properties. Uh, so that's what I spend most of my day doing. But uh, a couple of years ago, I also set up a co-working space in the heart of Chinatown called Haymarket HQ. Uh, and uh, I now spend some of my week out there uh, essentially helping the staff out there run the space, but also sitting down and sort of coaching and mentoring some of the startup founders and others that uh, have asked me to. Okay, now we're going to uh, go into each of those in a bit more depth in a minute, but let me first ask you, what does Lunar New Year mean to you? Yeah, this this is an interesting one for me because I was actually born in Australia uh, my parents were born in Papua New Guinea. And so I guess over the years growing up, I probably lost a lot of my Chinese tradition. And I'd, I'd fair to say that my parents weren't overly traditional in a Chinese way either because they had a lot of their uh, schooling in Australia. And so uh, it wasn't really a big thing for us growing up. Uh, the thing I remember most about Chinese year growing up was just getting the red packets. Other than that, it <laughs> wasn't a lot of celebration. Uh, mm. But these days, and as I've gotten older, uh, it's allowed me to reflect a little bit more about my 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 cultural heritage um, and to appreciate it a bit more. And so these days, uh, Chinese New Year 
has moved beyond just getting red packets. Uh, well, I actually don't receive them any, anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm more inclined to have to give them out. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's just the time, I guess, to get together with family um, and also a time just to look back and uh, look at the uniqueness of, I guess, my background, but also uh, the makeup of Australia as well, which you know, has a very strong Asian influence. Mm. So let's talk about your background. You're Chinese, but and you were born yeah. here. But your family, uh, as you've mentioned, is from Papua New Guinea. You said that your parents did most of their schooling here. So did they? They were born in Papua New Guinea, but then they did their schooling here. Then they went back to Papua New Guinea. Or how 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 did that work? And um, yeah. And, and and if you're a third generation family business, when did that family business start? And by whom? <laughs> sure. Okay. So the first question. Uh, around uh, my parents and, uh, I guess, growing up in Papua New Guinea. Uh, so they were born in Papua New Guinea and they received a lot of their early sort of primary education in, in PNG. Mm. Uh, but during high school, they were sent to Australia or sent specifically to Sydney to boarding school um, to further education. And so, you know, my dad went to St. Joseph's College in Hunters Hill uh, this was probably back in the 50s uh, and one of the very few Asians in that school at that time. Uh, my mum went to Bridget Dean, which was another Catholic school in Sydney. Uh, and so uh, in the holidays, they would either stay with friends in Sydney, uh, but also occasionally they'd go back to Papua New Guinea to see their friends, uh, to see their family. Mm. And so your your family business was that started by your grandfather and where was it founded and and mm. um did it start as a property company back then? No, well my grandfather initially built his wealth in PNG through trading stores and then later through the ownership of cocoa plantations and uh it wasn't until the early 70s uh, when PNG uh, gained independence, that the family decided to move permanently to Australia. And, and so with that move, my grandfather sold his cocoa plantation and reinvested uh, those profits into property in, in Australia. And uh, so he passed away uh, just over 20 years ago now. And before he passed away, he left behind a portfolio of commercial property, which was externally managed. And so uh, I, over time, got involved because I had a, prop, a background in property. Uh, I then managed to, to find my way through and convince my family to uh, allow me to set up a business, uh, which I titled Banner Property Group, uh, Banner uh, reflecting my grandparents' names, Bernard and Anna. Oh. And I convinced them to uh, allow me to set up this company to manage their own assets rather than rely on external management. Right. So we'll come back to that. But let's take take me back to when you you were born in Sydney. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, in the North Shore in East Kalara, uh, and that's still where most of my family live. I don't live there anymore, but mm -hmm. uh, I'd say three quarters of my family have had houses in that suburb. Uh, but I also went to boarding school. So in high school, I went to uh, St. Joseph's College and spent six years at boarding school, as did my uh, three older brothers. 
hmm, my cousin just married a Chan from Kalara, so <laughs> maybe oh, okay. they're related. There you go. We could be related. <laughs> from PNG as well. Um, oh, there you go. But, but anyway, so you grew up in Kalara and when did your family i mean a lot of the people i've interviewed they've had um expectations from their parents to do certain careers or go into certain jobs so did you have any of that those expectations on you no i mean i was fortunate to have grown up with parents who were i guess a little bit more liberal maybe a little bit more australianized and so the the typical expectations from asian parents of having to get good grades, of having to do coaching and studying hard and then getting to university and studying a particular course, be it you know, accounting or being a lawyer or medicine, that didn't really apply to me. Uh, growing up, uh, my parents actually were uh, happy for us to play a lot of different sports, to not have to study too much. We do, still did have to study, but uh, we weren't... Uh, pushed unnecessarily um, and so yeah that that upbringing was probably different to maybe a number of my peers. Your parents are unicorns they're the mythical Asian parents that <laughs> we didn't believe existed. Well yeah you don't <laughs> find many of them yeah. No. All right so when you um, uh, finished studying or, or, or when you you know came out of high school mm -hmm. what did you decide that you wanted to do? Like going to property straight well, away or something? No, like well, I think uh, my first choice uh, for a university degree was actually physiotherapy. And oh. I'm a bit embarrassed to say it, but I didn't get the marks to get into that degree. And so my second choice was actually a real estate degree. Um, and I managed to scrape in the marks to, to achieve that. And so um, that's how I ended up in property, yeah, as my second choice. Okay, so then what made you interested in going into the family business? Because it sounds like if, it was ex if most of the properties were being externally managed, you know, things were going well, yeah. you could have sat back and relaxed. What made you want to sure. get into it? Yeah, I mean, uh, and, I, and I should clarify, I probably spent about 15 years working in other, uh, in other corporates and small businesses in the property field before I did decide to... Uh, I guess, set up a family business uh, in a sense. Um, and it wasn't really a pathway for me. So again, this is another example of not following the traditional um, Asian model where maybe you're expected or you're a little bit forced to join the family business. So it was quite the opposite. Uh, I was never asked to join the family business and there was never any pressure put on me um, to do so. But uh, I guess through... Uh, through my different experiences, I felt that uh, the family needed someone like me uh, to step in and just take better control over, I guess, how our properties were managed rather than rely on uh, some external agents. And so is it something that you enjoy? Oh, overall, I do enjoy it. Uh, like with any job you might have, there are some pros and cons. Uh, one of the probably more difficult challenge for me before I decided to do this was just knowing that it would probably be my last job. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, once you join a family business, it's very mm. difficult to get out of it. And so I had to grapple with that a little bit. 
because through my prior career, I'd probably stayed at a company no longer than two years. And so it's been about 10 years now. Uh, wow. But I have to say, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, not only the uh, the challenges, but also the diversity I've been able to experience as the business has grown and as my role has changed over time as well. So you sound like you've had this really quite culturally un-Asian sort of um, upbringing. What then led you to then become president of the Haymarket Chamber of Commerce for five years and then president and also president of the Australian Asian Association of Benelong? Like that's quite different. Yeah, and I'd say there were leadership roles which I didn't really seek out initially. Uh, and I think to say they fell into my lap a little bit. So with the Haymarket Chamber of Commerce, uh, I saw an advertisement one day to join uh, some Haymarket historical walking tours. And so I thought I'd come along and just learn a little bit more about the area because my family has had an association with Haymarket, and my grandfather's name is on the uh, on the gates at Dixon Street. Uh, he was oh. one of the original committee members uh, that decided to convert the Dixon Street into what it is today. Mm. Um, and it was a little bit before my time, so I just wanted to learn more. And so I attended that walking tour, and on that tour, uh, the tour guide was actually a member or one of the executives at the Haymarket Chamber. And so he said, oh, why don't you come and uh, join the chamber? And I did. And then within six months, uh, they voted me as vice president of the chamber. And then within another three months, the president stepped down for various reasons. And so I ended up becoming president. And so I ended up staying there for about five years. Wow. So that came from accidentally going on this walking tour. That's right. <laughs> what? Um, and how about the president of the Australian Asian Association of Bernalong? How did that yes. become involved in that? Sure. So that was a little bit different. Um, so my office was in the suburb of Eastwood, which is a another bit of an Asian enclave. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I guess just through my involvement with the community um, and also some of the uh, local politicians, um, there are a few people that I'd met who had talked about setting up a an association to, I guess, promote um, better harmony, um, particularly with how the area was changing. It was becoming a lot more Asianized, and there was some conflict with some of the long-standing um, people of, of non-Asian background. And so uh, the intention was to form an association that could uh, better reflect and better integrate and better educate um, the various groups rather than acting in conflict. And so uh, I'm not exactly sure how I got into the position of president, but I obviously got voted in by a group of people, um, and it was uh, it was formed, I guess, under my leadership. Uh, but it's take, been taken a lot further through subsequent leadership. So, um, yeah, it was a really good experience. But uh, for me, when I look back at these two examples, uh, there are really good opportunities for me to develop my leadership skills. So apart from developing your leadership skills, what were some of the initiatives from both of those organisations that you were most proud of or that you thought were most effective in terms of achieving their goals? Yeah, sure. I think the things that stand out with the Haymarket Chamber of Commerce was just firstly building the membership base. Uh, It 
it was and now still is probably one of the most active chambers of commerce, I'd say, in Sydney. Uh, it has uh, really great relationships with uh, the City of Sydney and the Mayor, uh, but also with uh, state and federal politicians. Um, so very well regarded and, and not all chambers can sort of say that about themselves. Uh, but I think, you know, when, whenever we had functions, uh, they would always be well represented by uh, 100, 150 people. Um, and uh, I think we managed to build a really great community um, where membership and membership renewal was strong. And so when I look at organisations, I look at uh, how successful they are in terms of its membership and how they can maintain uh, those memberships. Uh, the, with the uh, Australian Asian Association of Ben Along, probably one of the uh, most interesting initiatives was uh, we met with the federal member, a guy called John Alexander, who used to be a mm. famous professional tennis player, and uh, yeah. we suggested to him about setting up a table tennis tournament um, for for the whole area, and um, he really liked that. And uh, uh, a couple of years later, uh, the Ben and Long Cup was formed, and uh, that involved uh, a number of schools, or pretty much most schools uh, in that area, participating once a year. But it also involved um, professional players from China, Korea, Japan, playing against or coming over and playing against uh, some of the uh, national Australian table tennis players. And so. Um, yeah, that was a really exciting uh, and, I guess, different initiative that was formed. So more recently, you've uh, set up a co-working space in Haymarket. Mm-hmm. Why on both levels? Why a co-working space and mm-hmm. why Haymarket? Uh, well, firstly, why Haymarket? So the family actually owns some buildings in Haymarket and we have since the early 70s, uh, probably one of the early properties that my grandfather had purchased uh, when he moved over from Papua New Guinea. Uh, and so in one of these buildings, we had a whole level which was vacant. And so uh, I managed to convince the family to support uh, an endeavour of not having to derive uh, revenue from that space. And so once I got the okay there, uh, I started to look at the question of what can we do with this space that has some sort of social purpose. And this was sort of aligned to uh, uh, the recent establishment of the Banner Foundation, which is the family's philanthropic uh, arm. And so when we looked at Did you the space, create that or was that already in existence? Yeah, no, no, it was created, yeah, um, uh, just a, a year or two prior to uh, Haymarket HQ being set up. And uh, so when we looked at options about what we could do with the space, I started to research uh, the area and found that what was happening in surrounding suburbs were these interesting co-working spaces being set up to support startups. Uh, but there was nothing really occurring in Haymarket and probably just because of the the property prices. Uh, and so I decided to set up uh, this space with a specific purpose, and it was to support startups that were trying to grow into Asian markets. And uh, again, when I looked at other co-working spaces around Sydney, they none of them seemed to support 
a mission like this. Uh, they tended to be represented by um, predominantly um, uh, people of European background as well. And so it made me question, well, when I look at all the universities and I look at the competitions for startups in them, they're highly represented by people of Asian background. But where are those people working out of? And so uh, it was a little bit of an experiment, but I thought, well, let's try and set up this space that uh, doesn't just cater to Asians, but but it is a space that um, uh, people of more diversity can work out of, but also having a common theme about uh, uh, looking at international markets other than the US. And so um, a couple of years ago, not many people were focusing on Asia as potential markets for their for their startup, but you know, these days it's a little bit more mainstream. So it's it's been good to see it's been proven in terms of the idea. Wow, okay. So um, in terms of um, how you divide your time then, what do you actually do with the co-working space? Because I imagine you're quite busy doing the the work you're doing with the property business. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit challenging in terms of time because – uh, I do have various priorities. Uh, I, I also do get involved in some community aspects as well um, and sit on a couple of boards. But uh, what I try to do with the co-working space in Haymarket is I try to go there every Tuesday and spend the whole day there. And that allows me to uh, spend some time with my team who are running the space. And I've got a really great team that don't need me so much anymore. So um, that's something that's been really pleasing to me. Uh, but it also allows me to uh, then just spend some time one-on-one -on -one with some of the startup founders that um, have asked me to either mentor or coach them. And that's something I really enjoy doing. Uh, I enjoy learning more about their businesses and trying to question and challenge them and help them grow their businesses further. Uh, and I feel that it helps me uh, look at my business and to think about things a bit more strategically as well. So um, how much of your cultural heritage, uh, you know, rituals or traditions, that sort of thing, now that you are a bit older compared to, you know, when, when you were growing up and you didn't, it didn't really um, occur in your life that much, how much of that is in your everyday life from any traditions to the food you eat, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, so in terms of the food I eat, I, I actually married a girl of Korean background, so we still eat Asian food. It's probably mm -hmm. a little bit more Korean than Chinese, but yeah. uh, I also work in Eastwood, so I yes. have an abundance of Chinese food there. Uh, in terms of everyday life, I can't say there's a lot of Chinese traditions because I was born and raised here and spent most of my life in Australia, I'd say I'm a bit of a banana, so you know, <laughs> yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Uh, and I guess, you know, people listening to this podcast wouldn't know that I'm Asian. Uh, but uh, in terms of maybe other traditions, I think you know, when I look at my grandfather, who I guess I probably didn't know a great deal growing up uh, because there was a bit of respect in terms of how you communicated to him and it was more 
proper to communicate to him in Chinese, and my Chinese was pretty limited. So I probably didn't get to know him as well as I would have liked or been able to ask questions um, in the way I would have liked. But I learned a lot more about my grandfather after he passed away because uh, even to this day, I will meet people, say, in Chinatown or at community group meetings, and, and someone will say, you know, I used to know your grandfather and they used to tell me things about him uh, which were very admirable, which, you know, I think, uh, you know, he, he left behind such a great legacy. And so for me, uh, that's something I'm really proud of and it's something I've recognised I want to try and emulate or try and just follow um, because of the impact it's had on me um, through other people. And so these days, now that I'm in a position where I can give back and I can um, help other people, I, I try to do that um, a bit more as a priority than, than it used to be. Mm. Um, through the various people I've interviewed, everyone has experienced very, very different levels of discrimination or not at all, uh, you know, or, or none at all, just depending on a whole range of factors, um, including where they grew up and, you know, their attitude on life and stuff like that. What's been your experience growing up Asian, Asian Australian in Sydney, um, you know, back then and also what is it like now has your cultural heritage mm. ever been an asset or a or a hindrance mm. yeah i growing up i tried to rebel against my asian heritage so uh, like i mentioned i went to a boys only boarding school where probably half of my grade came from the country and so there was certainly racism uh rampant uh, at that kind of school because you know, a lot of the kids weren't educated, hadn't gotten much exposure to people of different cultures. And so the way I dealt with that was um, I, uh, I, again, probably not the best to admit it, but there are a couple of Asian kids in my grade uh, who had come over from Hong Kong and so they were much more Asian than me. And so I actually used to pick on them a little bit uh, and I used to think, you know, you're giving us Asians a bad name because, you know, you can't speak English very well. You've got all these different habits that um, don't fit in. And so that was my way of dealing with it, um, almost, you know, becoming racist to my own race. Uh, and, you know, I tell this story to some people. It was at my 20-year reunion um, for high school that I actually saw one of these Guys, he'd flown. He lives in he lives in Hong Kong, and he flew over for the for the reunion. And I actually went up to him and apologized oh, wow. uh, for you know for all the mean things I said to him. And mm. um, to my surprise, he said, "What are you talking about? I can't remember it." So anyway, that made me feel <laughs> a little bit better. Uh, so that that was me growing up. You know, that was me rebelling against my Asian culture. Um, these days, as I've gotten older. Uh, I've learned to appreciate it more. Uh, to the extent now, uh, I wish I paid more attention during, uh, you know, the Chinese school that my parents used to send me to. Um, I wish I could speak better Chinese. Uh, it's, it's actually quite embarrassing when I go to some of the sort of Chinese community group meetings and I'm one of the few that can't uh, speak speak Cantonese. Uh, I went to a function last week. Uh, it was a property function. It was full of 
Chinese developers and uh, most of it was in Mandarin and I was the one looking at the screen reading the translation. So uh, me and some of the non-Asians on, on my tape. So it was a little bit embarrassing and, you know, in hindsight, I wish I had uh, probably adopted or accepted more of my culture back then. Wow. Um, and finally, what are you most looking forward to in the Year of the Pig? Uh, the Year of the Pig? Um, yeah, that's that's a good question. I'm actually just starting to look at uh, some goal setting for 2019. And I used to be someone that was very goal-orientated. So uh, a couple of times a year, I'd be someone that wrote in a diary uh, typically on my birthday and typically on New Year's, I'd sort of find some time to get away and just reflect. And, and I sort of stopped doing that since I got married and started to have a few kids and got too busy. But um, uh, so the plan was just to start to get back to some goal setting uh, about, um, you know, what 2019 I wanted to achieve and things like that. I guess uh, overall, you know, my priorities have changed um, so they probably focus less about myself and more about those people around me. And so obviously my, my family and my, my three young kids and trying to uh, uh, get them to do the best they can, uh, but also I have a responsibility to my staff at Banner. Um, there's about 15 or 16 of them that uh, rely on me to, to lead them and to um, provide, provide a future in terms of their career for them. And so I'm looking forward to being able to um, take the company to the next level and help my team grow. Um, and the same goes with some of my team at Haymarket HQ. So I think overall, you know, I'm pretty positive about 2019 and, um, you know, looking forward to all the challenges and opportunities it brings. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to Brad Chan. One of the things Brad mentions is that Lunar New Year is an important time for family. New Year's Eve is typically when you have what is called a reunion dinner in both Chinese and Vietnamese traditions. Usually the dinner will consist of the family's favourite dishes and also some dishes that are specific to New Year celebrations. This varies depending on where you grew up or what traditions your family holds on to. For example, I was born in Singapore and my parents migrated to Australia when I was four. So they follow traditions that you usually mainly find in Singapore, Malaysia and Indonesia, but not necessarily in other countries. One of the main dishes from this area is called lohe, which is served as an appetizer. That's a raw fish salad, which actually is a lot tastier than it might sound, and you place it in the middle of the table, and then everyone around the table uses chopsticks at the same time to toss the salad all together. But the aim is to toss it pretty high, because the symbolism behind this is that the higher you toss, the more good fortune you're going to have. Thanks for listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, Stories from Sydney Lunar Festival. My name's Valerie Koo, and you can connect with me at ValerieKoo, that's K-H-O-O dot com. To find out more about the City of Sydney's Sydney Lunar Festival, go to sydneylunarfestival.com or to find out more about the people featured in this podcast and any of the links I've just mentioned, just go to newstories.net.au.